Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. God, I pray that you would speak through me, and if you must, in spite of me. And I ask all these things in the name of the one who calms our fears. Amen. Anxiety comes like an unwelcomed guest who just plops down beside you with all of her baggage. She never picks an opportune time to arrive. Is there an opportune time for her to arrive? And she immediately wants to consume your time, chatting about all the things that you've been avoiding. It's really impolite, nosy conversation that she strikes up. And then she gives you terrible, unsolicited advice that leads you into the darkest of places and the absolute worst scenarios. She offers false help, but really she's just demanding so much out of you making you feel as if everything really is dependent upon you. You feel yourself with gritted teeth say, it's okay, Aunt Anxiety, I've got this. She really is the worst of frenemies. She wears you out. You begin to fret, are my loved ones safe? Am I safe? Why is my heart racing so much? Why do I have this odd medical symptom that I am just now very hyper aware of? Might I have a serious or a rare disease? And of course, anxiety encourages you to Google your symptoms. Don't Google your symptoms. WebMD at 3 a.m. never leads to good places, okay? And when anxiety is at her absolute worst, she has this cult leader-like hypnotic effect on you where she makes you feel totally out of control like you're a stranger in your own body. It's mental torture, really. You see, I know her. I know anxiety. I am one of the 19.1% of Americans who live with anxiety. That's nearly one in five Americans. So I know that I'm not alone, and I have been helped by medication and therapy. It's one of the reasons that I am very quick to say, you can have Jesus and a therapist. For a long time, I didn't really care much for the scripture passage that we just read. It felt like a bit of spiritual warfare in the wrong hands. In the wrong hands, this scripture feels like an accusation of not having enough faith. If I had enough faith, then would I not worry? If I had enough faith, would I not have anxiety? If I had enough faith, would I not have to take daily medication to manage my anxiety? I've wondered these things. I think McGray de Vega, whose book Questions Jesus Asked, which is the backbone of the sermon series, 
is right when he says that this passage of Scripture is not, in Je- is not Jesus instructing us not to worry, but instead Jesus is encouraging us not to be paralyzed by worry. I know what it is to be paralyzed by worry. The awful paralysis of a panic attack. It literally feels like a great weight has dropped down upon me. Counseling has helped me understand that anxiety does not have to control my life, but I can ride the waves of it. The same way my dad taught me how to ride ocean waves when I was a child. When I stand rigid, the waves overtake me. But when I learn to go with the ebb and the flow of the tide, then I'm able to stay upright. Magre de Vega puts it this way, worry is not my enemy. Worry is not my friend. Worry is my teacher. I like the way that American spiritual teacher Ram Dass put it. He's in his book, Be Here Now, written in 1971, which largely is credited with bringing an awareness of Eastern mindfulness to Western popular culture in the 70s, he said it this way. You can do it like it's a great weight on you, or you can do it like it's part of a dance. I often do life like it's a great weight on me instead of like a dance. For example, I routinely try to carry much more than I can handle, both literally and figuratively. You should watch me get groceries out of the car. And so I'm literally doing life like it's a great weight on me. In my distress, I can get into hustle mode, wishing that everyone around me would just focus and hurry up and stay on task. It's go time, people. Somewhere along the way, I learned that it should hurt. And by it, I mean everything. I learned anxiety as a way of life. If you're not always right at the maximum threshold of stress and exhaustion, you may be lazy or incompetent. I learned that if you can do more, you must. And if you aren't anxious and stressed out, you must not be trying hard enough, doing enough, caring enough. And yet, I took dance lessons from the age of 5 to 18. And I know what it's like to do life like it's a part of the dance. My shoulders lift, my spine lengthens, and I get ready to move. To dance is to practice embodiment in the simplest, most immediate way. Any dancer will tell you the only way to be able to complete the beautiful turns that you see them do is to find one spot and focus. If you lose focus, you lose balance. You have to be present to the moment, listening to the cues in the music, and having a total awareness of your body. Toes pointed, good posture, and don't forget to smile. Focused, swaying with the give and the take of the music. Dance taught me to focus on the present, 
but so many times my mind drifts to the past where I anxiously repeat the mistakes of the past as if by simply replaying them in my mind, I could change them. Or, instead of focusing on the past, I drastically rush towards the future, either so overtasked that I'm trying to rush to complete my to-do list, or so anxious about the future that my poor mind is trying to run through every possible worst-case outcome about what lies ahead which most of which will never come true. When my focus turns to the baggage of the past or what I imagine to be the impending doom of an uncertain future, then I'm no longer dancing through life but trudging through what is a great weight on me. Now, if you have children or grandchildren of a certain age, there is a popular show right now involving a blue dog. You know the one I'm talking about. Go ahead. Which one? Bluey. Bluey. Bluey had new episodes come out earlier this year, and one of those episodes involves a family vacation. If you have not seen this episode, I need you to watch it, because I have never related so much to a little dog named Chili in my life. <laughs> but there's this scene in Bluey where they're going to the beach, and the mom is rushing them. She's rushing them. They're supposed to be on vacation, and I so felt seen. She's rushing them. She's like, okay, do you have the sunscreen? Have you done this? And the kids just want to play in the hotel room, because why not? Hotel rooms are fun. When do you ever get to go in one, right? When you're small. And the dad's just like, hey, you know, whatever. And she's just rushing, rushing, rushing. And he's like, why are you rushing? And she says, because we came to go to the beach. i got to get us ready. we got to go to the beach. And then he says, well, you know, honey, you just go on to the beach, and I'll stay here with the kids. And so what does she do? She gets down there, she sits on the beach, and she can't do it. She can't relax. She walks back in, and she says to the husband, I, I don't think I know how to relax. And I have never felt so seen in my entire life. <laughs> Thank you, Australian um, writers of Bluey, because apparently that's universal right? I don't know how to relax because I do life so often as if there is a weight on me. I know that when I focus on the past or the future, it isolates me from those around me. Anxiety makes my life myopic. I turn inwards. My world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller Anxiety thrives when I feel alone, like I have to fix everything myself. I can recall a time in my life when I experienced the most crippling of anxiety. My world was best described as being painted in gray. Every day felt hard. I sought out therapy and medication. I also drank a lot of water and got in the sun because, yes, basically I am a houseplant with complicated emotions, okay? I own it. The sun, the water, therapy, and medication were all a part of my recovery during that season and things that continue to sustain me today. There was also one other thing that helped me. I started journaling for the first time in my life, and I have never been one to keep a journal. I was not the kid who kept diaries growing up, and really, I wasn't so sure if this practice really was for me. 
So I kept it simple, and that's what worked for me. I started a practice of writing down three things a day that I was grateful for. I also found that it helped to make them as descriptive as possible. So rather than write down, I am grateful for flowers, instead I might write down something like, I notice the beauty of the flowers that dot the sides of the highway on I-40 on my drive today. Or, recently I gave thanks for the beautiful daffodils, they're my favorite, that are popping up in the neighbor's yards right now. This practice, it grounds me in the present. It is a way of helping me to practice embodiment, noticing the world around me, reconnecting with my community, reconnecting with God through the practice of gratitude helps move me from my insular, anxious world of feeling like I have to fix everything myself and that the future is solely dependent upon me and it allows me to expand my imagination about the future with the help of my community and God. And, and I would also say, I've changed up that practice over the years. If writing down three things is, is hard, I've, I've even snapped a photo, three photos during the day to help me focus on what is around me. What if the scripture passage for today is not an indictment of warriors? An edict to deny our worry as if it doesn't exist or as if pretending it doesn't exist will make it end? What if the scripture for today is an invitation to a wider imagination that doesn't leave you and me paralyzed with worry? I want to invite you to hear it again. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it, as if God gives so much attention to the wildflowers? Don't you think that that same God would take pride in you? Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. God wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Why are you anxious? It's not an indictment, but an invitation, beloveds, to hand your worries over to a loving and capable God who seeks a beautiful life for you. Life is a dance that you learn as you go, and don't worry if you don't know it all. God's hand is extended, inviting you to learn to dance through life with God. Let us join God. Amen. Friends, I want to invite you and offer you a couple of ways to respond to this word today. One is, a thing you should know about me is I listen to music all the time. I love music, and I particularly love music. I have a soundtrack for every sermon I ever write. There's something that plays. Um, and so for me, I want to invite you, if you want to respond to this word, 
Listen to the song Turbulent Skies by Lauren Daigle. If you haven't heard it, it was the soundtrack that was playing when I was listening to this. It's a beautiful way to respond to this word. Another way is to snap three photos. Just try it for a little while, see if it works for you, or write down three things that you notice. Make a practice of noticing your world and the things that bring you gratitude, the things that bring you joy, the things that make you feel closer to God. And finally, beloveds, I want to offer you a blessing. I love, love, love um, a book, books of prayers, and I particularly love um, local writer Kate Bowler's prayers and blessings. And um, she offers this one that I want to give you today. It's a blessing for when today already feels like too much. Okay? Here's your blessing. I was hoping to be the kind of person by now who doesn't tumble headlong into the day, falling, falling, falling from the high board without nearly enough water below. God, I swear I didn't plan it like this. But here I am, hoping for another miracle. Lord, bless these dumb plans that will short-circuit my thinking and make me fragile, brittle. Lord, bless these multiplying tasks that swarm like mosquitoes. Underneath this to-do list and these calendar invites and these many obligations is a set of loves. Keep love in front of my eyes. Love in the car. Love in the waiting room. Love on the phone. Love at the laptop. Love in the laundry room. And love especially for the soft heart, mine, who cared enough to be this tired in the first place. Amen.